workshop here. My name is Dan Lively. I'm an alcoholic. Um, <clears throat> there's another meeting going. I guess a gay meeting going on over here. Is that what GA means? Gay. Uh, <laughs> Gamblers Anonymous is going on over in the other lodge over there. So uh, I'm supposed to do sponsorship here. Um, I've, I've done this a couple different times at a couple different retreats. Last year I tanked it. Totally tanked it because I was had my stuff on, on, on something else that was going on. Uh, this year I hope I bring a little bit better. Uh, Thing to you. So a uh, couple of questions, uh, and, and I get asked this a lot, uh, when should you start sponsoring? Well, I'll tell you what, it starts out at your very first meeting with your handout. Is that sponsorship? No, not really, but it's vital. Yeah, it's vital that uh, sticking your hand out to the next guy. If you got two hours and a guy walks in that just had, a, just had something in the parking lot, then you got something to offer him a little bit, you know. And uh, yeah, I've heard it said over and over again, you know, a guy comes in, he's brand new, and you know, this guy like me, I got 32 years, this guy's got 15 years, that guy's got 26 years. He's looking around, the guy says, I got two months. And the guy goes up to him and says, two months? How did you get two months? You know, so uh, when, are you, when, are you, when should you start reaching your hand out uh, right away? And, and I'm gonna read just a little bit out of the big book as I go through. This is, uh, Bill is still in the hospital. He is still in the hospital. He has not got out yet. He is still locked up. He says, when I lay in the hospital, the thought came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad what had been so freely given me. Perhaps I could help some of them. They, in turn, might work with others. We're talking about sponsorship. Bill is still in the hospital. Ebby's been coming in and talking to him. He says, my friend, talking about Ebby Thatcher coming into Bill. Ebby, by the way, Ebby had two months when he came into Bill. You know, when are you qualified to sponsor people? Immediately, you know. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all of my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. A couple of big words are absolute necessity. What part of that do we not understand? Imperative. It's imperative that we do this, you know. Uh, Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. Four. If an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. You know, if he did not work, he would surely drink, and if he, if he drank, he would die. How vital is it that we work with others? It's an absolute necessity. We gotta do it if we're gonna stay sober. Why? Because there's gonna be shit happen in life. You know, some of you guys know my story. It has not been all roses and unicorns and bluebirds and shit. There's been a lot of stuff going on in my years of sobriety that kicked my ass in the dirt. Uh, the people who have saved my butt is the people that I'm sponsoring, way more than the guy that sponsored me. Those are the men who came out and carried me, you know. Troy was brand new when I lost uh, my wife. He was out there a lot in my, in my garage working with me, you know. Huge. Uh, he was carrying me. Simple as that. So, uh, when should you start immediately? Uh, who's qualified? Okay, now if we're talking real sponsorship where you're helping a guy through the steps, you cannot help a guy through a step that you haven't done. You know, if a guy wants to do a third step with you, I hope you've done a third step with somebody else. Now I did a third step when I was fairly brand new. I, I went out, I didn't have anybody with me, went out in the woods, got right on the edge of the canyon here, turned my life and my will over to the care of God. I didn't get much out of that. When a guy walked up to me a few months later and said, would you sponsor me? And I'm going, no, I'm not qualified. He said, no, I'm sure you're the one. I want you to do my third step with me. And we got down on our knees and did a third step. I felt that. Being on my knees with another man, I felt, you know, 
That was, that was the very first sponsor I had. He chased me through the steps. You know, he did. When I sat down and heard his fifth step, I had done one already, but when I sat down and heard his fifth step, one thing became amazingly clear to me, and that's that I had more work to do. Because he had done a more thorough job with his than I had done with mine. You know, so uh, the qualification is, have you done the work? If you haven't done the work, then you're probably not qualified to hear another guy's stuff. If you have any prejudices about sexuality, about thievery, about homosexuality, anything, if you have prejudice against that, if you're prejudiced against child molesters and you have a violent reaction to them, you better not hear any fifth steps. You better say, hold it, wait a minute. If this is in your story, I need to send you to, to Dan, you know, or whoever. Because <laughs> I have found that there's a great deal of people, our speaker obviously, who are perfectly willing to stand at the podium and talk about every woman they've ever been with in full 3D living color. But the other stuff, they don't bring up. They don't bring up. And uh, Bob and I had the same sponsor for a while, Shambo. I uh, was looking for a new sponsor. I was about 15 years sober at the time, I think, 14 years sober. And, uh, no, I was 15, 15 years sober. I just lost my wife, and I'm looking for a new sponsor. And uh, Shambo uh, spoke up in a meeting, and I, and, I, and I looked at him, I thought, there he is. And so I asked him, and he said, yeah, come on over to the house. And I walked in, and I sit down. He had the big book, the 12 by 12, and the New Testament on his table. He started right off. He said, I believe in this, I believe in this, the big book and the 12 by 12. He said, my God is Jesus Christ. He said, if you cannot deal with that, you're in the wrong room. You know, flat out, he just laid it right out there. So I had a written fourth step, and I shared it with him, and he listened to it all the way through, and uh, I was all done with it, and he, he asked me, is there more? And I said, no, that's it. And he said, okay, now we're going to go to the other stuff, the stuff you're not telling me. I need to know about any uh, homosexual experiences you've had. I need to know about the, the debts that you owe that you never paid that you're not telling me about. You know, he called me on that right away. And uh, I call that good sponsorship, you know. I had another experience with Shambo. I was, uh, a couple of years later, I was building my pole barn. And I uh, had a pretty bad experience with that. And I went to Shambo with it, because I am, I am in deep shit with my pole barn, and I'm in trouble, and I know it. And I went to Shambo, and I, I told him what was going on. And he looked at me, and he says, why didn't you get the permits? And I said, because of all of this shit with Clackamas County, you know, I had all these resentments against Clackamas County. He stopped me. He said, I don't remember any of that being on your fourth step and your fifth step. And, you know, he was not concerned about the problems I had with the no permit on the pole barn at all. He was concerned with the fact that I had left stuff out of my fourth step, that there was things about me and my resentments that he did not know, that he could not help me with, that it's obvious shit's happening because of that. So he wanted to know more. I had more writing to do. I call that good sponsorship. He was not afraid to call me on that. Um, so uh, let's read a little bit more. Let's go to... Page 75. I love the big book a lot more than what I love. It comes out of my head. You know, I can talk at great length on almost any subject you want to bring up. I can talk for an hour on just about any subject you want to bring up. But what comes out of this book is way more important. So, uh, this business of uh, working, you know, if you're, if you're going to have somebody hear your fifth step, if you're working with a person and, uh, and, and you want him to hear your fifth step, it is important to ask him, have you done a fifth step with a sponsor? Did you do the writing? Have you done a fifth step with a sponsor? Will you share your stuff with me? And, and if you've got a guy that says, well, you know, yeah, 20 years ago I did this, uh, 
it might not be the guy, you know? Or if a guy says, ah, no, I'll, I'll share a little bit with you, but not everything. Might not be the guy for you. If a guy's not willing to sit, look you face to face, eye in the eye, and tell you his stuff, he might not be qualified to hear it, um, you know? A lot of people have stuff that will send them to prison if it gets out. I did. And when I sit with another man and, and shared my stuff, I was fully ready if he said, oh, you sick bastard, I'm sending you straight to prison. Pulls his phone out. Well, was, that was before cell phones. He couldn't do that. But, you know, <laughs> you know uh, he didn't do that. He heard my stuff. He gave me some simple advice dealing with step uh, six and seven. He said, I want you to do this. You know, he didn't judge me. He just uh, heard my stuff, gave me some advice on what to do. And, uh, you know, in the eighth and ninth step, I had to start cleaning up my stuff. Uh, but uh, when we decided who is to hear our story, we waste no time. That's a kind of a time frame for the fifth step. You know, we have time frames. Uh, one of them we talk at every meeting. You know, there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Kind of two and three stuff there. Time frame, right now. When are you get ready to do that? Right now. Uh, you know, if you're sponsoring somebody and they, they try to say, well, I'm not ready to do that, uh, now is a really good time kind of important to bring that out. Um, so uh, step four, you know, it, it tells us in the big book that uh, uh, this decision that we made in the third step is a vital and crucial step with little permanent effect unless followed at once by an effort to face and be rid of these things which are blocking us. This is the beginning of your fourth and fifth step, at once. You know, uh, they say don't, don't dilly-dally around. Well, I'll do it when I got five years. Yeah might not make five years. That once is a really good time. Now in the fifth step, they give you this little, uh, they give you this little thing where they say, notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be so situated there's no person available. If that be so, the step may be postponed. So they give you an out on the fifth step. Look around. Look around. Find somebody, you know. It said, uh, we hold in complete readiness to go through the first opportunity and then it says, when we decide, uh, you know, when we find such a person, we waste no time. That sounds, again, like now at once we waste no time. Uh, how, how, how quick should it move? As quick as you can move it if you want to stay sober. This stuff's vital. Um, if you're talking with a newcomer and you're, you're going to sponsor somebody, it's really important to take the stuff right out of the book rather than right out of your head. Uh, it's important that what you're sharing is this stuff because, uh, and, and there was an old guy, preacher Paul used to say, I heard him say it a lot, what you say to a newcomer could kill him. It might be fatal. So make sure this stuff is not. Make sure that you're coming out of the book. So uh, we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. That don't leave too many outs. If you're going to hold something back in your fifth step because you do not think that the person is, wants to hear it or something, go find somebody that does. Ask. Ask a guy that's here in your fifth step. Hey, have you got any of this in your story? You know, can you, you know? If he says, oh, no, no, I don't do that sick shit. Uh, <laughs> say, do you know anybody that I can share with? You know? Uh, it's important. This stuff will kill us if we don't do it. You know? That stuff will be eating on us and eating on us, and it's important to get it out. Share it with the right person. Find somebody. There's plenty of us qualified to hear anything you guys got, believe me. So uh, 
Why do we do it? Because once we have taken this step withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. That was not necessarily my first experience with the fifth step. When I came away with the, from my fifth step, I still felt shamed. I did not get that experience until I heard a fifth step and shared mine with another guy sitting face to face with me. Uh, I did not hear that. I'll tell you a quick story about that. Um, his name was Jeff, Jeff Kuehl. He's gone now, I can use his last name. He, uh, he chased me through the steps, but when he sat down and shared his fifth step with me, I got this experience by sharing my stuff with him. And uh, so uh, he passed away a number of years ago. His son is now a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And his son uh, came into my home group and, uh, when he's new, and he shared this. He said, I, he said I, I remember Dan. He worked with my dad. He said, I didn't know what was going on. I was only 10 years old. I know that when my dad started working with Dan, our lives changed. See, lives changed inside of the home because this guy was working with me. And I'm sure things changed inside of my house because that guy was working with me. See, one-on-one, face-to-face, -on -one, -face, talking with each other, we were working things out. Was I qualified to sponsor him at the time? Oh, hell no. Was I doing it? Yeah. Did it save his life and his family's? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so, talks about our deepest secrets can become our greatest assets. That has been my experience. I, uh, was working with a brand new guy when I was again fairly new, it was in my first year. And he came to me with a quasi fourth step, you know, and he wanted to talk about everything that he'd ever thought about. Which of course he'd never carried any of this stuff out, of course, but he thought about a lot of stuff. And I'm listening to him and I finally said, hold it, wait it, wait a minute, you know. So far I've done every single thing that you have thought about. It's all in my written inventory. You know, I've done it all. He was horrified. He said, Oh whoa, you know. And so he went around telling people, God, you can't believe what Dan has done. And I was like, you know, somebody came to me and said, hey, you shouldn't be talking to Steve. You know, he's going around telling everybody this stuff. And I'm like, I can't go back to meetings. It scared the hell out of me. The phone rang. It was a guy in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous with more sobriety than me. He said, uh, I've heard some stuff about you. I'm thinking, oh, here it comes. He said, uh, I need to meet with you face to face. I've got some stuff on my fifth step that I've never told anybody, and I'd like to tell you. Uh, that happened five times. Five times people came to me and said, okay, I held this back, but I want to share it with you. And uh, so the importance of these, these deepest secrets becoming my greatest assets, every time a guy shared his stuff with me, I got some relief from mine. You know, I was able to, to uh, release a little bit of my own secrets. And I'd, I'd be, you know, right now if a guy's willing to work with me and sit down, I'll tell him everything about me. Some of them, like Will, go, oh, no, please, no, please, no, I don't want any more of that. You know, because they don't identify. You know, I've had a couple of those. But in all the years that I've been sponsored and all the guys that I've sponsored, there's only been a couple. The rest of them are all willing to go eventually. Uh, okay, I do have some of that stuff. You know, I wasn't going to tell anybody, but here it is. And it's important, you know, that's important. Um, so, this business of hearing a fifth step, um, when they're ready, you better be ready. Uh, I've got this guy's permission to share this story. I'm putting a roof on my house. Me and another guy are putting a roof on the house. Rain is coming, it's on the way. Uh, and uh, we got the roof tore off the house. We're up there putting the roof on the house. Here comes the motorcycle riding in the driveway. The guy gets off and he's got his fourth step. 
and it's like, I do not have time to hear this guy. I'm putting a roof on my flipping house. But I know the importance of this. I come down off the roof. I tell the guy that's helping me, hey, I got to go do this. We go, we sit in the barn for what, an hour? He tells me all this stuff. I question him, is that everything, you know? It says at the end here, returning home, you know? Reading the first five proposals, we ask ourselves if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we can walk a free man at last. Is our work solid? You know? Have we skimped anything? So I, I hear his fifth step. I send him home. I get back up on the roof. We're going at it again. We're going to get this roof on before it rains. About an hour and a half goes by. Here comes his motorcycle rolling up the driveway. <laughs> I left some stuff out. So we went back down to the barn. I told John, we're going to have to tarp this. You know, we're going to have to tarp this. And then we went back down the barn and finished it. What was more important, my flipping roof or this guy's fifth step? It was pretty important. He's sitting here. You know. I have another one I don't want to talk about. I'll tell you this. A guy called me. He said, I've got, he called me from Sandy. I've been working with him for quite a while trying to get this damn fifth step out of him, you know. He calls me from Sandy. He said, I've got a written fourth step. Uh, can you hear it? And I was busy. I was busy. I had stuff going on. It's like, you know, how about Sunday? Can we do it Sunday? There's a long pause. And he says, yeah, we can do it Sunday. Okay. And uh, he didn't make it. He went out, got drunk, trashed his whole life, lost everything, went through a divorce, had an excellent uh, job, lost that, trashed his whole life because he was ready to do that then. And I wasn't ready to hear it. You know, uh, about three or four years later, he comes back and he's put his life together and he's sober now. But at that moment, what was more important, his fourth step or my stupid shit that was going on? And frankly, when I looked at it later, it was stuff that I wanted to do, but it wasn't important. You know, this was vital. This was vital, and I passed on that. So it had, you know, there's both sides of that. Um, Confidentiality. How important it is to keep the stuff entirely confidential. Uh, you, you, it's huge. Uh, obviously, with, in my case, working with Steve, by the way, that guy that went out and shared all my stuff, eventually left AA. And he had told me, he said, if you ever read my obituary, it wasn't an accident. He said, if I die in a car wreck, it ain't an accident. So I, his obituary is in the paper a couple years later. I'm going, what the hell? So I got a hold of his family. Uh, he drove head-on into a bridge abutment at about 80 miles an hour. <laughs> Boom, because he couldn't deal with it anymore. He walked away from Alcoholics Anonymous. His own demons drove him out. Uh, so uh, I stayed sober, even though he went out and shared all my stuff. He didn't. You know, how important is confidentiality? It's huge. When a person tells me stuff, um, it's, I consider it sacred to maintain the confidentiality of that. Occasionally, I will ask a person, can I share this stuff? Uh, not using your name, can I share this stuff? If he says yes, then I feel free to share stuff from the podium. Um, and there's been cases where that has saved people's lives. Uh, but, you know, insofar as a going out and saying, uh, well, yeah, I've heard his fifth step, but listen to this sick shit. No, there's no place for that in Alcoholics Anonymous. There isn't. Uh, it's, a, it's a sacred. I consider it sacred, absolutely. So... Uh, As we go on into this, as we go on in, and I'm going to have a couple other people talk to it. I'm not going to talk the whole time. As we go into this, um, and, we're, and we're working with people, 
And they've done a fourth step and they've done a fifth step and uh, working their way through eight and nine. Things are going along good. Uh, I tell people if you're gonna go out and make amends, it would be a good idea if you write it down first and run it by me or somebody that you trust. Run your ninth step by somebody first because there's a good chance that whatever you have in mind is not gonna be a good amend and, and ask, ask somebody, you know, in this situation, how should I deal with this? That's important. Um, but you know, we get to this step 10 thing. Uh, don't take that out of this. As we work the first nine steps, we prepare ourselves for the adventure of a new life. When we approach step 10, we commence to put our AA way of living to practical use, day by day in fair weather and foul. Then comes the acid test. Can we stay sober, keep an emotional balance, and live to good purpose under all conditions? There's the importance of a good sponsor. You know, what's going on with me right now? Whatever it is, you know, some upheaval in my life. What's going on with me right now? I'm writing it down, I'm sharing it with a sponsor. Uh, a continuous look at our assets and liabilities. Two things there, not just the bad stuff. What am I doing right? Am I working with another person? Am I going to a lot of meetings? Am I in the big book? Am I doing the written work? Am I meditating? All these are assets. Am I doing that stuff, first of all? I would go talk to Shambo and uh, stuff would be going on because he, uh, Jim Shambo, by coincidence, work, uh, lived within walking distance of where I worked. And uh, I didn't know that when I asked him to sponsor me. It turned out, I said, where do you live? And it's, I can see his house from uh, the roof of the building that I work in. So I could walk up there at noon and talk with him. And so uh, I uh, had some stuff going on and uh, I had, uh, I'd gone up to Shambo with it, and uh, God, I lost track of that thought. I'll come back to it. I, I, he had, we had made an agreement. He said, I need you to bring this stuff to me at least once a week, this, this stuff, you know. And, oh, yeah, where I was going to go with that is I would walk into Shambo with my stuff, and I would say, this is what's going on. And he would say, okay, have you done these things, basically, uh, 86, 87, 88, and 89? Have you read those pages in the big book? Have you done these things? Have you asked God to guide your life today, you know? And, and I would be like, uh, no, I didn't do that today. He said, well, let's do that first, okay? You know, stop right there. Let's do that first, and we'd work through that. And then, okay, what's your stuff? Well, a lot of times by then, I'd realized, you know, it's just me, it's self again. You know, I'm tied up in self one more time. It's them instead of me. It's you. It's you that I'm dealing with. But I, uh, Shambo had said, I need you up here once a week. I need to meet you in a meeting once a week. I need you at my house once a week. That's when I very first started working with him. And I did that fairly religiously for a couple of weeks. And then I got busy. I had a brand new Harley. I had a brand new girlfriend. I was busy. I was a busy guy. And uh, so I didn't go around. You know, about a month later, I come riding into Shambo's yard right after work. Oh, I better stop in and see Jim. He walks out on his front porch. I'm hey, Jim. He said, look, you son of a bitch. He said, you and I had an agreement. And he said, if you're not going to hold up your end of the agreement, I'm not going to hold up mine. He said, if you do not want to do the things that I, you promised me you would do, I don't have time to waste on you. And he turns around and starts to walk back into his house, and he looks over his shoulder. He said, if, however, you're willing to honor your agreement, come on in and have a cup of coffee. You know? He was not afraid to read my ass if I was out of line. I call that good sponsorship. You know? Um, so... A little bit more out of the big book. And then I'm done. I'm going to call on uh, at least one or two people.
come on. By the way, in the chapter working with others, there's uh, 15 pages in that chapter. And if you're going to be working with somebody else, acquaint yourself with the 15 chapters of working with others because uh, it tells you exactly how to do it, you know, step by step. What do you do when you're working with a brand new guy? If you get a 12-step call and somebody's drinking, how do you deal with it? It gives you the exact, in, this, in the chapter working with others, it gives you the exact directions on how to work with others. Uh, but here's why. Here's why. Practical experience shows that nothing will, show, will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. Intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. So that kind of suggests we're going to try other stuff first before we actually try this working with others. You know, uh, It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You are uniquely qualified to sponsor at least one other person in this program. Your stuff is going to help at least one other guy. Uh, believe that. Believe that. Pray about it. It will happen. Uh, you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Um, this thing all goes back to Bill's story again. Uh, when Bill uh, gets out of the hospital, and he says this, my wife and I abandon ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics to a solution of their problems, not just the drinking problem, a solution of their problems, everything in life. And he says, uh, I was not, you know, he, he couldn't work for a year and a half. He says, I was not too well at the time and was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. Now, if you're all tied up in self-pity and resentment, the last thing you want sitting on your couch is a drunk, right? Okay, this sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, once again, suggestion we're going to try everything else first, when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I've gone to my old hospital in despair. On talking to a man there, I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works in rough going. So, you know, when the shit hits the fan, for us, What's the most important thing we can do? Help another alcoholic. Got one more story real quick and then I'm done. Um, worst day of my life, my wife's funeral. Uh, I, I woke up in uh, 2003, my wife was dead in bed. Um, I immediately made some phone calls. People came and helped me. Uh, uh, one of the guys was a sober guy and uh, he went to the funeral home with me. And at the funeral home, uh, the lady asked me, how many people are going to be at the funeral? I need to know. And I said, and I'm counting family members. I'm thinking 20, maybe 25 at the most. My friend stopped me. He said, you're forgetting something, Dan. And I said, what's that? He says, you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, you sponsor a lot of people. And I'm going, oh, yeah. And she, she caught it. She said, you're a member of AAN? I said, yeah. She said, here in Sandy? I said, yeah. She said, we're going to need this whole place. We're going to need this whole place. And it, I mean, it was packed. It filled up. It was huge. Uh, but uh, the night of her funeral, a week later, I was shot. I was devastated. I did not pick up the phone and reach out to anybody. 
It was one of those things I was grieving worse than I had, you know, I felt worse than I'd ever felt in my life. I was grieving, drove around aimlessly in my car. I was doomed, and I knew it. Couldn't deal with the grief. A voice told me, you better go by the club. And I went to the Alano Club in Gresham. It was a Saturday night. The speaker meeting was over, and there was a drunk out in the parking lot raising hell. Drunker than hell. They had blocked his truck in with cars so he could not get out. And he was one very angry, belligerent drunk. And uh, I walked right into the middle of that shit show. And uh, he looked at me, and I, I've said nothing. I'm just standing there watching. He looked at me, and he gave me his car keys. He said, will you take me home? So on the worst night of my life, I got to sit and listen to a drunk all night long. I listened to his drunken war stories about what a hero he was, listened to him puke and gag and show me all his trophies, etc., etc. I didn't say much to him. I didn't. I just listened. I didn't drink. About a week later, the phone rings. Another member of AA says, uh, there's a guy work going around in Sandy. He's a drunk. He's homeless. This is, in, by then, this is February uh, 2003. And he said he's going to freeze to death if somebody don't take him in, so I gave him your number. <laughs> so right away I am like, hey, wait a minute, Larry. You've got a bedroom. You've got a house and a bedroom. Larry said, no, I gave him your number. Click. A couple days later, the phone rings. This guy is desperate, drunk, desperate. So I go and meet with him, sit down. I read the chapter, Working with Others, first. I go and sit down with him. I meet with him. Hear a sad story. He's got a backpack. He sets it down. You can hear the bottles clinking together in the backpack. Uh, he says, uh, I need some place to stay. I said, come on out. You know. I told him what was going on. I said, I'm not of much use to anybody right now. I'm still grieving the loss of my wife, but yeah, you can move in. So he moved in and uh, kept me sober for about eight months. I hauled him back and forth to meetings. Drunk the whole time. Drunk the whole time. You know, Troy used to come out. Troy asked me one time, do you know he's drinking? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, he's a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous today. He's a regular at meetings. He took a 15-year coin at my home group. I never sponsored him. I didn't sponsor him ever. Eventually, he got a sponsor that took him through the steps. It wasn't me. My job was to take him to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, present the program to him the best that I could out of the big book. I wasn't destined to be a sponsor. I'm still not. But he's sober, and he's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I'm done. We've got a few minutes left. Um, Dwayne, I sponsor Dwayne. Dwayne works with more guys than I do. Uh, I've, I've watched him, watched him in the beginning, carrying this message to others. He's tireless. He's out there working with others. I'd like to hear from Dwayne a little bit. Thank you. My name is Dwayne. I'm an alcoholic. And... Uh, I don't know, it's kind of magical. Um, my good friend is here uh, leading it. Um, 
it's up here on property that I'm familiar with. And uh, I don't know, it's just an all, all, all around good experience. Um, I don't know why God's got me here. I don't know. So, yeah, uh, Dan's right. Um, I, I do work with a lot of guys, and, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of men in here that work with a lot of guys as well, and they probably do Alcoholics Anonymous better than I do. And, uh, you know, a certain point in time comes when we're sitting there in front of a guy, and, uh, you know, the, the realization comes that uh, I'm not God. You know, and really the truth is, is there's little or nothing that I can say that's going to keep you sober. That's the truth. And there's little or nothing that Dan can say that's going to keep me sober. You know, I need to do the work that Dan tells me to do. And, uh, you know, um, I, uh, just a little background on me uh, for you guys. I came up here from uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I had... uh, been in it. I grew up in boys' homes, juvenile halls, detention centers, uh, been to county jail, and in and out of prison three times. And uh, in fact, while I was in prison, I couldn't stay sober. I uh, had actually contracted the hepatitis C virus while I was in, uh, in prison. And I get up here to uh, Portland, Oregon, and uh, you know, I find myself uh, on the streets. I'm uh, borrowing a blanket from a couple of homeless guys. I'm uh, sleeping on the sidewalk because there isn't any room in the doorway. And uh, it's not even so much that I wanted to quit drinking or using any drugs. That that wasn't what was on my mind. I was just uh, depressed about where my life kept ending up. You know, I'd never had a job of, of any long, substantial time. You know, I was never a journeyman. You know, uh, in the sales arena, I, w- I was never the closer. I was just the guy trying to bring the guys in to talk to somebody, you know. So not, not, not a lot of life, life sk- skill sets, you know. Um, and so I ended up uh, turning myself in over to the uh, detox center downtown called Hooper, uh, Hooper Detox. And, uh, you know, that, that, was, uh, that was probably the first time I was willing to do something a little different. And uh, I turned my will and my life over to those guys. That's what I did. I turned my, the, the care of my life over to a detox center. And uh, I'd consciously had made the decision that I was going to let some people run my life for a year. Uh, so that's a little background on me. I, uh, working with guys, um, you know, uh, kind of like what Dan was saying, you know, it's never too soon for me to uh, be working with a guy. One of the things I like uh, sharing with guys, I like to go into treatment centers. That's kind of my niche. And, you know, I'll, uh, there's guys sitting in front of me that, you know, only have, they don't have any time at all. You know, and I thank them for their time. I thank them for their time. And they say, and it's, why are you thanking me for your time? Because it's the most valuable thing you have to offer. You don't need 10 years of sobriety to give somebody your time. And so when you guys are sitting there in front of me listening to me giving me your time, 
you're doing more for me than I could ever do for you. I had about uh, I had about a year sober, maybe a year and a half sober, and uh, I met Ben Rafferty. And uh, Ben's not with us anymore today. And this fucking kid brought joy in my life. You know, um, I was doing a rigid program of Alcoholics Anonymous, very structured-like. But this kid started bringing life into my life. And I was living in an Oxford house, and we were doing third-step prayer in, in, the, in the living room there. We're listening to each other's inventories. We're talking about working with new guys. We're in the trenches. We're doing the, we're doing the deal. And this kid's bringing, bringing spirit and life and light into my life. And uh, he's bringing his daughter around. I'm meeting his family, and things are well. You know, things are going really well. And in a way, you could say he's saving my life because he's bringing me to life. And he does things like he likes to ride motorcycles. He's getting tattoos, and, and the guys seem to just kind of come around him in the meetings, and, and they want to shake his hands and be friends with him. And I get to be a part of that. And so I'm getting pulled into Alcoholics Anonymous just through Ben's actions. You know, and um, so I can say that Ben was saving my life from the very beginning. He was helping me get a new life. And uh, all the while, um, you know, uh, Ben and I's relationship went for about three years, maybe almost four. And uh, he, he drifted away for a while. I kept working with guys. And um, I ended up uh, meeting a girl. And uh, this girl that I meet... Uh, her and I become like best friends. We're best friends and we start dating. And keep in mind, you know, I'm running around AA, I'm building up this character, and people are shaking my hand, they're wanting to meet me, and I'm conversing with all the heavy hitters, right? Right? I'm a fucking big shot in AA. My girl's a big shot. And I got this fucking secret. Got this one secret. And the secret is, is that I have hepatitis C and I'm having unprotected sex with her. And I haven't shared it with anybody. And all that light and all that love and all of that, all of that charisma that's going on, that stuff that Ben was introducing me to, slowly, slowly started to disintegrate. The evil and corroding thread was there. And my AA world and life got really fucking small. And what ended up happening is uh, a guy in the rooms, and I'm not sharing this to be a big shot with you. I do ask God to come into my life and intervene. I'm just simply here to share my experience. This is not a showboat deal. This is, a, this is for something that somebody in here may be struggling with. And hopefully, what you get from this is it is okay to be honest about that stuff. I'm not that guy today. I stand before you a different man, free from that. That's what I would like for you to take away from this. And what ended up happening is another man in the rooms in a men's meeting shared honestly, vague, a little more vague than I am now, about the same thing. And it gave me enough hope and inspiration that I went to my sponsor, shared with him what was going on. He looked at me with endearing eyes. He gave me a set of instructions, and I followed through with that process. Why?
because I was fucking dying. That's why. I was dying in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous with a secret. And I went forth and I carried through. You want to talk about humiliation? You want to talk about fear? You want to talk about fear of being judged? I was backed into a corner. I had no choice but to find God. I felt like all of you guys were against me. And I get a phone call about three weeks later. And Ben has uh, fallen off of a roof. And he... Uh, ben has fallen off of a roof and uh, he's hit his head. He's an ICU on life support, and his family reached out to me. And, uh, you know, I went in there, and uh, I spent a lot of time uh, gathering people from AA that wanted to see him, uh, his friends. Uh, I had late evenings after work in the hospital, and uh, I was ushering people back and forth while he was on life support. And fucking Ben was saving my life again. Because what ended up happening is it forced me to be an active member in Alcoholics Anonymous. It forced me to put one foot in front of the other. That's what it forced me to do. And on about day four, I'm sitting in the lobby. It's 12 o'clock at night. And I get a call. And the call's from another guy that I'm sponsoring. And the call is about how he's having sex with his girlfriend, and he hasn't shared some of his symptoms with her. And he doesn't know what to do about it. And that was it. As it turns out, I have some experience with that. And so somehow, God has taken my, taking my uh, shortcoming if you will, and he has turned it into an asset so that I can one more time be useful to you guys and to God because that's what it's about. So probably one of the best examples I have in my life right now of uh, this little paragraph that I want to read uh, is my sponsor. And, um, you know, when I had met Dan, I was on this little seeking thing, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to chase God. I'm trying to find God. I want to know guys that are involved with God. I want to hear your experiences about that, and uh, I need to see it, Right. You can give me all the information you want, but I need to be shown how to do this thing. And, um, you know, Dan is a guy that uh, stuck out to me, not because he's a big shot or anything like that, but when he invited me to his home and then we started to hang out, go to meetings, go out to coffee, go to movies, do whatever it was that we were doing, I noticed one thing about this man. 
and I noticed that there was no threshold between his front door and these rooms. That was very attractive to me. It says here, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When you look back, we realize the things which came to us, we put ourselves in God's hands, were better than anything that we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances are. Thank you guys for helping me learn how to give my will and my life over to God. Thank you guys. That's it.